So let's just uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you have given to us to hear from your word. We want to ask for forgiveness for anything that we have done to go against how you want us to live and against your commandments, dear Lord. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. We pray that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit that you have enabled to indwell within us, Heavenly Father. And we pray that we would be attentive to your word and it is only your word that is shared today. Watch us and uh, get us ready to listen to you. This we ask in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, So the past few weeks we've been looking at uh, different facets of salvation. Uh, Today will be the last week that we will look at salvation. So the first, the first week, we began with the need for salvation, which we saw was directly related to the consequences of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. And we all know that it was his disobedience to God's commandment to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that caused certain things to entail after that. One of which is his actions severed, uh, severed the relationship between God and man We saw that there was a spiritual and physical death that man went through because of that. We saw that all mankind, because they were technically all in Adam at that point of time, his punishment and his guilt was imputed or was passed on to every human being that ever came after Adam. And and we saw that God looked at man with disfavor after that. And ultimately, we concluded that because of this spiritual death, man is unable to or is not able to save himself or to please God. And that is why there was a need for salvation. The need was to take care of the human problem of sin because man wasn't able to do anything to save himself. And the solution was Jesus Christ dying on the cross, who was God's son. And... um, and we saw that his, through his death, he was able to redeem us. And since he is God, his death is of infinite value and sufficient to atone for sins of all mankind. But at the same time, he was also fully a man, a human being. And because of that, he was our perfect representative to die for our sins. Then we came to the how of salvation, or how salvation basically works in week two. And we saw that Christ's death on the cross atoned for our sins. We saw that in accordance to Old Testament law, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. We saw that he appeased God's anger, his rightful anger against man's sin. So the term for that is he was the propitiation for our sins. And we saw that he died on our behalf, being the perfect substitute. So those who choose to accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, because he died on the cross, it is as though we also died, as though we paid the punishment for sin. Then we see that through Christ's finished work, he reconciled God and man. So man was able to have a relationship with God, and then we see that through His finished work, God justifies us. Justifying justification doesn't mean that there is a change in us morally. It is just a legal stance. Basically, when God looks at us, for those who have accepted Christ, that person is right before God's eyes. It is a forensic stance. It is. A, it isn't the internal working within. It, it is an instantaneous process. 
And we saw that how, because of Jesus' death, the invitation to God is open for all, but only a few respond. Um, and that call involves repentance, which is wanting to turn away from your old self. It also involves faith, that is, wanting to trust God for who He is and for what He says He will do. And then at that point, we see regeneration occurring. That is, God enabling us fallen human beings to be able to respond through the Holy Spirit to goodness, to, to a sinless life. That is the initial stages. And then we come to the end goal of salvation. What is it that... What happens after that point? What happens after regeneration? What happens after all these initial stages, after we have become a part of God's family, after we have uh, received this right standing with God, after all these initial steps? And the miraculous, the miraculous work of salvation that we have seen so far is not the end of God's saving work. After salvation, God continues to transform us to make the believer into the image of his son. And we see that spread across scripture. We see even Jesus, uh, I believe even Jesus says that. No, Paul says that. That we are to be conformed to the image of his son. And the process by which believers are set apart from sin with the goal of becoming holy by working towards a sinless life is called sanctification. It is a lifelong journey. It isn't something that is going to be achieved in this life, but it is a lifelong journey, a, a, a continuous process of dying to the old self, but maturing and becoming a new creation, becoming holy, so to speak. And when you look at the, the usage of the word holy, or the meaning, if you look for the meaning of holy in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you see that it has two, sanctification, uh, sorry, holy, the two, um, I apologize. So holy means being an, bearing an actual likeness to God. So through the process of sanctification, the believer's moral condition is molded. Like I was saying, after you were justified, that was only your standing with God. But then the moral, your moral self has to change. And that is what sanctification entails, becoming holy to him. And the two ideas that you get from the Bible that are connected with sanctification, one is holiness and one is moral goodness. And when you read the Old Testament, you see holiness is a characteristic of objects, of people, of places. Right? For objects, we see that the table of showbread or the altar, that is holy. You see the, uh, a place, the tabernacle is a holy place. Then for people, you see that Aaron, the, the high priest Aaron, or the Levites, they are holy people. And what that basically <clears throat> conveys to us, if something is holy, if someone is holy, it means it is set apart for the Lord. It is not to be used for everyday use. It is set apart for him. And the second one, or the second idea that we get of sanctification is the moral goodness. And that we see in the New Testament when we uh, look at Jesus, when he, how he emphasized that we are children of God. How he contrasts the Old Testament law with the New Testament law. And this is Matthew 5 verses 43 to 45. And he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. <clears throat> and then even Paul shares this, con uh, this conception that our status before God is to result 
in holy living. And he says this in Ephesians 4 verse 1 where he, he's urging the Ephesians. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of calling you have received. So the idea that you get of holiness is that you are separate from the world. And as well, there is a moral implication to it as well. That you don't give in to your old self. That you, being good, is obeying God's commandment. So it's being separate and it's about moral goodness. And to get a better understanding of sanctification, if you contrast it with justification, justification is an instantaneous thing. The moment you accept Christ, if you truly do accept Christ's payment on the cross for yourself, you are immediately justified. But sanctification, like I said, is a lifelong journey. And there is even a, a quantifying nature of sanctification because you are either justified or you're not, Right? But sanctification, there are varying degrees. Some people are more sanctified than the others because everyone has different walks in life. Everyone has had different experiences. So some are more sanctified, if you will, than others. Some people are able to uh, resist certain temptations while others are not. This is not to discourage you, but this is just um, the way it is. Uh, Our journeys are all different. That is what I mean by uh, there are varying degrees of sanctification. And also, like I mentioned before, justification is something that happens outside of us. It is our legal standing, but sanctification is the work inside that God does through the Holy Spirit. And what you have to remember is that sanctification is a supernatural work. As we saw in the need for salvation, there is nothing that we can do. There is, there is nothing that we can understand on our own to be able to save ourselves or to present ourselves as pleasing to God. And so Paul writes, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are so many other references pointing to the fact that it is the Holy Spirit, God working through the Holy Spirit in our lives that sanctify us. It isn't anything that we can do or that we do. The divine working within the believer as I mentioned before, it is a progressive matter. It is not a, something that happens at that moment. As uh, Paul puts in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Then the aim of this divine working is likeness to Christ himself. And this was God's intention from all eternity. Before the foundations of this world, he had this plan set in place. And this is what Paul says in Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As you study sanctification, as you look through it, you get the sense, when you look through it, I mean when you read the Bible, and you put things together, you get the sense that sanctification completely renders the believer uninvolved, as though we have nothing to do. It is true that we are unable to do anything on our own to be sanctified, but we are part of the process. Because once we accept Christ, once we accept His payment, once we are regenerated, once we are repentant, once we have faith, we have to work at our sanctification. We are unable to sanctify ourselves, and so God gives us the tools. He gives us the power. 
but we have to be wanting to change. So don't think of it as it's only a God activi God's activity that he would sanctify me and I can go on doing whatever I want. But it, is, but it also involves the believer. So I ask myself, so how does, how does the truth of salvation affect believers and unbelievers? And it's pretty straightforward for unbelievers where if you haven't accepted Christ, you are eternally doomed. In the sense, you will be eternally separated from God. And we keep sharing this message over and over. I trust everybody knows Christ because it is a scary place to be. Because we see it echoed in the Psalms. We see it echoed in scriptures, How, especially David, how he cries and he cries with a heavy with, with heavy heartedness when, when he feels that the spirit has departed from him. How much more would it be that when you are put in a place that God is never going to be there, you are never going to feel him, you are never going to experience him. And so it is an urgent plea, so to speak, that you would accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that you would want to have a relationship with him because he has done everything that needs to be done. All you have to do is reach out and make it yours. But then again, I think there is a, there is a bigger application for the Christian. As human beings, we are bound under the curse of Adam in this world. No matter how hard we try, we still sin against God. I'm talking about Christians, even after being saved. We still sin. And you see it even in Scripture. You see the Apostle Paul rebuking Peter for showing uh, favoritism in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. And then later in his ministry, Paul himself calls himself the chief of sinners. You see that Peter, James, and John, even Paul, admit that they were imperfect, that they keep making mistakes. And this is during their ministries. This is after they have experienced Jesus Christ. These are people who saw Jesus. And when that dawned on me, that, that the question that came to me is, am I any different? These are great men of God who have, who have written under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and we've all read their works. And we struggle every day. I struggle every day. We struggle. Everyone struggles in this fallen body of ours. We, we struggle with our thoughts. We struggle with our deeds. We, we struggle with our actions. We struggle with people. And the thing that hit me is it is so easy for us to do wrong. That is what comes natural to us. We are so quick to get angry at a brother or sister. It is so easy for us to fight with people. It is so easy for us to judge when we should not be judging. It is so easy for us to give in to alcohol when we shouldn't. It is so easy to give in to substance abuse, to smoking, pornography. It is so easy for us to look at a, a member of the opposite sex when we should look away. And this is not for non-Christians, this is for Christians. It is so easy to do wrong. And from my experiences, from, from the sin that we do, we sometimes get lost in that guilt. We sometimes feel, and it's a good thing, we feel guilt, that we feel sad, because it is the Holy Spirit working in us to remind us that your God paid a heavy price and this is not the way you are supposed to live. 
we are reminded constantly of what it is that we should be doing. But I find myself that I, I lose myself in a place where I feel like God doesn't want to talk to me anymore. That how could I approach the throne of grace? How could I pray? How could I have a relationship with God? After all that he's done, I still make mistakes. And for us Christians, it is important because sometimes we have this facade where we come to church and we appear that we are all holy and everything is good in our life. Meanwhile, in our own private lives, in our own private spaces, without our even spouses knowing, without our friends knowing, that we suffer and we struggle. Even though there is a great salvation that is available to us, we still don't keep that as the focus of our lives that we depend on ourselves to overcome sin. That is the... That is a struggle that I have. We struggle in this world because of, because of our new spirit battling against the, 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 the old flesh. And that is why I understand a little bit of why Paul cries out in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? He knows the battle that rages within us, the natural body wanting to do what we want to do. And I, I, I shouldn't say we, I should say I. My body wants to do what its natural tendency is. And Paul cries out in that verse and he asks, he asks as someone who is lost, someone who has no hope due to their pitiful, sinful nature that rages battle within them, with, 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 within themselves against the spirit. But then he goes on to answer his question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a difference between continuing to sin and continuing to live in sin. Because no one reaches sinless perfection in this life. But the redeemed Christian is being sanctified day by day, sinning less and hating it more each time he fails. Yes, we all will sin. It's the reality. Whether we like to say it or not, we all sin and we will sin. But as we mature, it should become unwilling. It should be less frequent. But the key point is, it has to be less frequent. We should have an aversion to sin not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. The benefit that we Christians have over unbelievers is that we are no longer slaves to sin, but somehow we like to give in to the grasp of sin. We live as though we are slaves. The benefit that we have, Paul talks about it beautifully in the book of Romans. The benefit that we have is we have the power at our disposal to say no. We have a Heavenly Father who is waiting with open arms to receive us, even though we fall. That is what we forget. That is what I was reminded as I prepared for this sermon, that we are empowered for righteousness. We are right in front of God. Why do we still give sin so much power in our lives? 
why are we still so scared? And looking back at the salvation that God prepared, I mean, think about it. This plan was foreknown by God before the foundations of this world. And we still are scared of sin. As our brother was sharing this morning how God's work on the cross was not just an equal, of an equal amount to the power of sin, but it went way beyond that. Even though we were sinners, his death saved us. How much more his life should, should encourage us to, to, to... How much more does it have to encourage us to conform to the image of the Son? How much more should we live with peace, with, with happiness? But still, we are held down by sin's power. Sanctification, according to the Westminster Catechism, is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And this is my prayer for you because this is the prayer for me. If you find yourself depressed, if you find yourself fighting battles on your own, if you feel sad about the sin in your life, you don't have to do it by yourself. You are not alone. You have this wonderful salvation to think about. You have this wonderful God who is ever ready there to help you. Someone who you can get your strength from. And so my plea is that we don't forget the message of the salvation because it is so easy when you keep hearing something over and over, it just fades into the background thinking that we know what it is. But if you know human tendency, we, we sometimes forget we sometimes forget our own telephone numbers. When people ask our own numbers, we forget. Because we hardly use it. Initially, we would know it because when we have to fill out our, our applications and our, uh, maybe for our house deeds or for our licenses and stuff, we would know it at that time when there are big events. But as time progresses, we forget. Even though we think we're familiar with it, we forget. Let us not forget this great salvation that our God has offered. Because salvation is a beautiful concept that yes, God died, God sent his son to die for sinners, but it means so much more. The gospel has power to, to, to release the bonds of sin. It has the power to, to, to reconcile us to God. It has so much power, but I pray that we do not let anything else than God take our focus. Let us not be bogged down by the worries of the world. Let us not be bogged down by experiences, by people, but depend on God. Because if, if He had to do, if He had to execute such an intricate and perfect plan, how much more would His help be available to us? Let us never forget the salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you have blessed us with. We pray that we are able to accept these simple truths that you give to us, Heavenly Father, where we don't have to get lost in volumes of books. We don't have to scratch our brains trying to understand these simple truths that you've given to us. to try and understand that you have sent 
your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for people like us. Help us to remember that the good that comes from us, the good words that we can speak, the love that we can share, the care that we can show for somebody else is not natural to us. The only reason that we are able to respond that way is because of your work on the cross, because of your son's work on the cross, because of the good that comes from there, because you reached out to us. You enabled us to respond to you. We pray that we would understand the salvation much more and that we would understand its true power in our lives. That you, would, that you would enable us not to be weighed down by sin. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. And we pray that you would enable us to be conformed to the image of your Son as each day progresses, Heavenly Father, because we are unable to do that on our own. We need your strength and we need your peace and your guidance. Thank you for this opportunity once again. And we thank you for your family that you have provided to each one of us, that you would give us a wonderful support system. And again, all this is possible only because of what your son did on that cross. We thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day. This we ask in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.